before we open up God's word, we'll ask his blessing on this meeting this afternoon. Our God and Father, we come into your presence this afternoon, and we would give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We, we thank you so much this morning of the fond remembrance we had of him, and we considered so much about his person, so much about his work, so much about you are God and what you have done through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. We are, we are amazed at the love, amazed at the grace, amazed at the mercy. We are amazed at all this, and we are so thankful that we've been brought into a relationship with you, our God, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. Pray this afternoon as we would open your word, that we would be given help to study from the scriptures. We pray for the Sunday school downstairs and the, the teachers and how they will be bringing the gospel to the different people down there. We think of even Eunice bringing the message of salvation to her older class. And we pray for each one um, as they listen to the word of God that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to be their savior. We, we think of how the Lord Jesus Christ could speak of children. He could say, suffer the little children to come unto me. We just think of how there are many young ones down there. Some are very, very much old enough to understand the gospel. We just pray for them. Again this afternoon, give us help as we open up your word in your name. Amen. This afternoon, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to, first of all, Romans chapter 11. On Wednesday evening, we were studying the last part of chapter 16 of Romans, and it ends with what is known as a doxology. And, and it ended with these words, To God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That's how Romans ends. And this afternoon, I want to look at some doxologies from the New Testament first one we're going to read of is in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of, his, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For, t for of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Second reading in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests 
to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Finally, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Or sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, pardon me. Ephesians chapter 3. For connection's sake, we'll, we'll read at verse 14. We're given a reason why Paul is going to burst forth in praise, doxology. Romans 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the, in, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and depth and or width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now here's the doxology now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen the Lord will bless where we've read from this afternoon on Wednesday evening as I said already we ended our Bible study and we didn't spend a lot of time on that particular verse but Romans ends with a, a doxology about how glory and honor should be given to God and I want to just look at these doxologies Doxologies are, are a, a common thing in God's word, especially in the New Testament. You can identify them very quickly. Some of these that we've read this afternoon fit into that. And if you go into the Old Testament, you will find them as well. In the Psalms, Psalms many times are, are really songs of worship and praise to God. In 1 Chronicles 29, you see David standing before the congregation, the assembly, and he, he offers a praise and worship unto God. So doxologies are common in God's word, and, and, and they're worth looking at and studying. The word doxology literally means a study of praise. I've got this from an online source. However, dictionaries usually define the term as expressions of praise to God, often associated with a hymn sung during Christian worship. This article goes on to say, Throughout history, certain songs have been specifically labeled as doxologies by the church. The Catholic Church is given as an example, has a primarily used the Gloria Patri, or great doxology. I, I read it, it's very long, I'm not going to quote it. There's also a lesser doxology, whose lyrics include, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end amen and then in in protestant churches and it, it's in our believers hymn book there's another doxology that's used it was written by a man named thomas ken he was a anglican um, priest 
and he wrote these words praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him above you heavenly host praise father son and holy ghost amen song which i'm sure all of us have sung at one point or another in our life it's a doxology it's a it's a, a word of praise unto god so this afternoon i, I want to look at these various doxologies that we read from this afternoon the first being in romans chapter 11 there we read these words i'll, I'll read it again oh the height and depths both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. This doxology tells us about the greatness of God, the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, how God is overall. It is a, Paul is. It really, as he, he has got to this point in Romans, he, he, he gets to this point and he, he just he can't contain himself. He, he just he, he, he outbursts in this, in this song of praise to God. And if you consider what Paul has spoken of through the book of Romans, you will understand for a moment why he, he bursts out in praise to God and, and why we should burst out in praise for God. Romans is such a wonderful epistle of Paul's because it it gives us what God has done through the ages one of the things that Paul tells us in Romans is that he he expounds on the great plan of salvation which really shows how a just God can save the ungodly and still be a just God in doing so he, he, he tells us as well, Paul, in his epistle, by the Spirit of God, he has told us this. He has shown us how Christ's work, and we see that in Romans chapter 5, how Christ's work brought glory to God and blessing to mankind more than what Adam lost through his sin, through the fall. Paul tells us that grace produces holy living in a way that the law could never do. We see that in Romans chapter 6. We see the, the truths of sovereign election, but we also see the companion truth of, of human responsibility, that God chooses salvation for mankind, but we are responsible to God in how we respond to his offer of salvation. Romans 11, really, is where we find out how God has has brought Jew and Gentile together through the work of Christ. So as Paul has worked his way through his epistle, led by the Spirit of God to write these words about the, the great plan of salvation and everything that it brings us into as Christians, he gets to this point and he just, he just cries out in worship to God because he can't contain it any longer. He says, how great is God that he has done all this amazing as we read this this doxology again i'll quote it oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for he has known for who has known the mind of the lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things 
whom be glory forever. Amen. What are some of the things that we learn from this doxology? We learn that he is rich. How rich is God? He is rich in mercy. We consider what mercy is. It is God saving us from something that we don't deserve. Or, yes, we deserve the wrath of God. That's what we, we, we deserve. He saves us from something that we deserve, the wrath of God. We find out about his love in, 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 in God's word, and he is rich in love. He loves us so greatly. When we consider the cost, we read that in Revelation 1, where we'll look at it in a minute, but how, how great was his love? When you consider the cost that we've been washed from our sins in his own blood, he's rich in love. He's rich in grace. He's brought us into his family, into the family of God. He's brought us into eternal blessings, being connected and brought into this relationship with God. He's rich in grace. He's rich in faithfulness. Our God is so faithful to us. When we walk through trials and difficulty in our life, we, we know that he's faithful. We, he's rich in power. We see God's power, how great and mighty he is. He's rich in goodness. We also see in this passage that he's wise. And how is he wise? Here we read in this passage, his wisdom, it's unsearchable. It's past finding out the wisdom of God. It's incomparable. Solomon was the wisest man on earth, but when we consider the wisdom of God, it's incomparable. We we can't understand the ways of God. We have to admit that. We can't understand the ways of God. It's incomparable. It's invincible. It can't be destroyed. God's wisdom cannot be destroyed. He is wise beyond measure. That is how he is wise. How, what about knowledge? We find out about the knowledge of God in this passage. That he, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knew you before you were even redeemed he knew you and he he wanted to redeem you and he wanted to have relationship with you he knows you right now of course and he knows everything that you go through he's omniscient he knows every step you're going to take throughout every moment of your life and he's there he's omniscient which means he knows everything and nothing ever surprises him nothing ever surprises him nothing is out of his control we find that out as well in this passage that nothing is out of control his decisions are unsearchable his ways are beyond human comprehension we read for who has known the mind of the lord or who has become his counselor or who has given to him and it shall be repaid we read before that how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out his decisions are unsearchable his ways are beyond human comprehension he reveals his mind he doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't need anything from us. He is, he is independent. He is he's sovereign. He is overall. He doesn't need anything from you and I. This is what this passage is telling us. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? God doesn't require or need anything to us. He does use us as human instruments, but he doesn't need it. We see this in this passage that he, he is completely in control and he, he doesn't need a counselor to him. God is never obligated to anyone. And that's what we see at the end of this verse in verse 
35, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. God is never obligated to us. How could we ever think that God would be obligated to give us anything? He, he gives us so much, but we should not be obligated, feel like he's obligated to do that for us. Final thing we see in this section is that he is self-contained. It says there, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. He is the only one that sustains. He is the only one that controls the universe. And ultimately, he is the object for which everything is created. And everything is for his glory. This is what this is saying. It says, for of him, through him, to him, are all things, are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. As we study God's word, it is clear that God is deserving of every thing that we could ever do in praise and adoration to him. That's what he deserves, because he is the one that is over all and above all, and he deserves every praise and worship that we should ever offer him. This doxology comes out of a strong understanding of theology. And as I think of each and every one of us, including myself, ultimately our worship should come from an understanding, a deep understanding of who God is and what God is like and what God has done. Our worship should come out of that. We need to understand what God is like who God is, his attributes, his character. That is what ultimately, ultimately will cause us to worship and praise him. I want to turn to the second passage that we read in this afternoon, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to hear, see in this verse, Revelation chapter 1, the salvation of God. The salvation of God. Verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him. They who pierced him, and the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. The salvation of God. That's what we see in this doxology from John. John is telling us about how great our salvation is. And really, again, points back to how great our God is. This passage reveals to us the love of God. We read these wonderful words again that he has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The word loved here is actually better rendered and and some translations have done this loves us, 
loves us. It, it is in the Greek a present tense word that he loves us. He loves us continuously and it's never ceasing. It's never ceasing. We, if we read that again, he, he loves us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed, on the other hand, is a, it points to a past and, and a completed work. It points back to the cross and what has been done there through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. I want you to note the order here. Love first. He loves us. And really, as we consider that, he indeed loves us long before we even realize that he loved us. And as we come to God's word, it is clear he, he, he loves us and we can look back to eternity and we can understand that. That God always had in view this plan of redemption where we would be redeemed, where we would be washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us. He loved us. And what an amazing and just awesome thing that is, that we are loved by God. This, this passage reveals to us that the salvation of God, the price that was paid, that we are washed in his own blood. Think about that. The price is beyond human calculation or human estimation. We can't fathom the love of God when we consider that it was at the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ's own blood. Really, as we consider that, really we should say again in worship, the cost was too high. When we think of our rebellion and our sinfulness and our condition being far off from God, we read that passage in this morning and after morning meeting about how we were, were inflicted with sin from the sole to the foot. There was nothing in us that would ever please God. We consider that it says he loved us and washed us in, in his own blood. And we didn't deserve such a love. We didn't deserve to be washed at such a high price. But yet God in his mercy, grace, love, has through his son paid that price for sin. The price was beyond human calculation. John goes on to tell us that our salvation is more than just a rescue from sin. Yes, we've been washed in his own blood. But we are told here that we have been made kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think it was uh, an old preacher, either Russell Harris or there was another Harris brother, I heard that he would be often heard to say in in preaching the gospel or, or pre ministry to Christians. That some Christians believe that salvation is a fire escape from hell. A crude expression, but, but it, this passage tells us that it is more than that. It's more than just a rescue plan to take us from our sin. This passage tells us that we've been made kings and priests to God. And what does that imply? It implies that our life after we're saved, we need to be serving God with spiritual sacrifices. We need to do that with our person, our possessions, our service back to him. And when we consider 
the cost that the Lord Jesus Christ has loved us, that God has loved us, loves us, and he has washed us in his own blood, it is the proper and the only response that we could ever offer back to God. I read a quote from Alistair Begg last week, I believe. Alistair Begg, he's a pastor in Cleveland. He said, the call of our God, uh, the call of God in our lives is straightforward. He calls us to salvation. He calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to suffering. He calls us to sanctification. He calls us to service. And this passage is telling us that, that we are called to be kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and forever and ever. Amen. Finally, the last thing that we see in this passage that Paul offers up to God for worship is concerning his coming, the Lord Jesus Christ coming again with clouds. It says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. Isn't that something that we expect? Uh, we know that he will come again in through the rapture, but I think this is speaking of that, that return by the Lord Jesus Christ to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. We see the great promise of his return here, that he is going to be the sovereign over all. And, and for, for us as believers, that is a wonderful and a joyful thing. We, we, we anticipate the rapture, but we long for that day where we see him ruling sovereign over all. Where every knee will bow to him. And this passage tells us that really it's a joyful thing for us who are believers. We, we, we read that and we understand that it is a joyful thing. But here we read as well that the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And I, I again, many here have family members that are not saved. And this is really for the lost, it will be a time of sorrow think that the Lord Jesus Christ has come back to reign, that they will be sorrowed at that. They, they will be lost. We see the great promise of his return, a sovereign over all, a joy to the saved, but a point of sorrow to the lost. Finally, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Another doxology from the Apostle Paul. This one speaks of the guidance of God. The guidance of God. We'll read it, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now this doxology... Really, we read the connecting verses from 14, but it follows a building of theology on who God is and what he has done. I'm not going to read that to you again, but from verses 14 down to 19, Paul builds a theology of why God should be worshipped, why Paul is bowing his knees. He builds that theology. And for us, we can benefit from reading it so that it will cause us to worship and bow down. We see this doxology, and, and some have pointed out that this doxology really is like a pyramid. 
like a pyramid. And, and, I, uh, and I wish I had a uh, PowerPoint here so that you could see how it is a pyramid. But I want to just point out what a, you think of the pyramids in this world. You think of the ones that are in Egypt or even the Mayan ruins that are in Central America. Pyramids are, are beautiful and awe-inspiring things. And, and I think uh, the ones in Egypt are considered one of the wonders of the world. And wonder is uh, what this, these verses are going to cause us to do. We're going to wonder at how God is so great. And this is a pyramid. And I want to point that out to, to you. I just want to break down the structure of how it is a pyramid. You take the word able and you just start building upon it. Able, able to do, able to do what we, what we ask, able to do what we think, able to do what we ask or think, able to do all that we ask or think, able to do above all that we ask or think, able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We could say that God is able, but we see a building here about how great God is and how his abilities are exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So it's a pyramid. He, he, he's telling us how great God is in what he does. Again, Paul tells us our power comes, we see in this section, that our power, he mentions, he is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is the power that works in us? Each and every one of us has been given the Spirit of God in us. And it works in us as we yield to him, yield to the Spirit, as we yield to God, the greater will be our effectiveness as Christians. This passage tells us that God deserves eternal glory. Now, at the end of this, he says, To whom be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God deserves eternal glory. And as you look at this world, as you look at nature, as you look at the universe, those are, those are all things that give glory back to God. If you stare at a, a sunset on a, a summer night, I am sure you will just stand back in awe at how great God is. As you look up at the sky on a clear night and you see all the stars and the constellations in God's universe, it will cause you to worship God. But here we are told that the church is responsible to give glory to God. We see the church's responsibility to give glory to God by everything we do in our life, by showing love to the world around, by bringing the gospel, by showing kindness. This is what we, we show glory to God in so many ways. On a Sunday morning when we come here to worship, we show glory to God. Paul, in this doxology, he is saying, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I just hope these few thoughts this afternoon on these doxologies of Paul will just cause each and every one of us to just worship God, to consider that our theology, our understanding of God will bring us to worship God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come again into your presence. We thank you for your word, which tells us about who you are, tells us about what you have done, it tells you, tells us about your plan of salvation, your plan for our lives as believers. It tells us everything we need to know. 
We are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for you, our God, and that you are there as our guide. We just pray that as we live our lives, we would just accept your guidance. We ask you this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>